This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Hi, everybody. Welcome to our latest podcast. On this podcast, you're going to hear from Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times and also James Click, Vice President of the Rays. On the baseball operations side will join me. The reason, obviously, is that the November 20th deadline is coming on, and the Rays did add five players. We'll discuss that and the moves made. Thanks to Chris Miller, I am doing this remotely. Uh, I'm broadcasting for volleyball matches for the A-Sun Championship. So uh, we'll have the opportunity to do this through the magic of technology, and we appreciate you being with us. And we will uh, start with James Click, again, Vice President of Baseball Operations. And James, first give us an idea. Um, I would imagine that the decision to designate for assignment Matt Duffy was the toughest of the moves you guys had to make. Was it? And if so, why? Absolutely. I, I think the reasons are, are pretty obvious to anybody who, who has been around Matt Duffy. Um, he is a total pro, uh, a leader, leads by example, goes about his business the right way. Um, I, I don't think that we can say enough good things about, about who Matt is uh, as a person uh, and, you know, as, as, as a ball player. Um, it, was a, it was a very tough decision. Um, but ultimately felt like we had enough options on the, on the roster that, um, you know, for the, for the best chance for the team going forward, that this was a decision that we had to make. Um, but uh, it was not an easy one by any means. Let's put that in some sort of context. Um, obviously, Yandy Diaz, I know, was on the injured list himself a few times last year, but performed very well when healthy. You've also got Daniel Robertson, Mike Brasso, and now we'll talk about more later, Kevin Pablo a lot of right-handed options, and my guess is there wasn't that clear path for him, for Matt to get an opportunity this, this coming year. Yeah, it's always a balancing act um, in terms of wanting to provide opportunities for, for the young guys on our team. Um, we got a lot of benefit out of that this past year, um, and yeah, I mean, for better or for worse, we, we were faced with some very tough decisions because we have a lot of very talented players who were uh, putting us in a in a tough spot, and it's a good spot to be in. It's a spot we have to be in if we want to compete. Uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, it, it sometimes leads to a situation like this where we have to uh, designate someone that um, that's a just again just a total pro and a, a leader and a and a guy that we really like. But um, you know, it was it was a tough decision, but one that we felt like ultimately was right based on the roster. And and on that end, I mean, I would think certainly the respect that you have for Matt goes into this and giving him the chance to find a job as early as possible in the offseason. And how much of the overall decision, too, is the fact that, look, he has had the difficult time staying on the field. I think it was 199 games played over a total of three years. Obviously, if he played a lot more, it would have made the decision that much tougher. Yeah, I'm not sure how much Matt's overall health factored into it. He obviously finished the season healthy and, and finished it strong, and, and I think that we had every reason to believe that he was going to be healthy uh, going into 2020. 
I think a lot of this just comes down to the the things that you pointed out earlier. We have we have a lot of depth in this particular area of the roster, and a lot of those young guys deserve the opportunity to get some playing time and show what they can do. Did the depth also, James, figure into the decision on Jose De Leon? I mean, you look at you've obviously got five guys back who played you know major roles in Morton and Glassnow and Snell and, and Yarborough and Chirinos, but then beyond that, you've got Trevor Richards, you've got Jalen Beeks, you've got um, several, Anthony Bonda, uh, Brent Honeywell, and I can go on and on and on. Austin Pruitt right now on the roster. How much of that figured into the Jose De Leon decision as he worked very hard the last two years uh, with the Tommy John surgery rehab? Yeah, it definitely always factors into these decisions. We're, we're never making these decisions in a vacuum. Um, in, in the case of, of Jose, uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, but also, uh, you know, he did such a tremendous job working his way back from that injury, was so uh, diligent, was so uh, aggressive about his rehab. Uh, you got to give him a lot of credit for, for getting himself back and healthy and, and, and effective down the stretch. Um, you know, I, I think that, that what he was able to do uh, on this field, on the field this this year, shows the potential that um, that he had when we first acquired him a few years ago. So um, it's tough to part with uh, with a guy as talented and, and as hardworking as as he is. But again, you know, balancing the entire roster, trying to find uh, the the best decision that that we could, um, felt like you know getting what we could uh, for him was the was the right decision in the overall picture. And, you know, part of this you mentioned not happening in a vacuum is you're adding guys, and you added five position players. I do find it interesting. I, I can't remember a year where an organization so rich in, you know, run prevention and pitching added five position players before the November 20th deadline, which I guess it also shows how balanced this organization is becoming overall. Well, I think technically we added five position players and one pitcher, depending on how you consider Cronenworth. Um, but yes, primarily we did uh, we did add five position players. Certainly wasn't by design. Um, it was just a question of looking at the uh, the organizational roster as a whole uh, and and the decision points on on each player individually. Um, and one of the goals for this this off season is um, I, I think we would like to improve on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, and, and certainly several of the guys that uh, that we added to the roster yesterday uh, may not have the potential to do that immediately in 2020, but they are the kind of guys that, you know, very soon I think that our, our fans could be expecting to see up here and contributing uh, on both sides of the ball. Um, but, yeah, it's, it is interesting that, um, you know, given the success that we had this year with, with run prevention, uh, that that's kind of where the where the chips fell. Since you mentioned Jake Cronenworth is a pitcher, discuss the plans for him in terms of how he's going to be used next year. I know he got a taste of pitching returning to that this year, obviously primarily being an infielder. Yeah, the plan for, for Crow is to continue to uh, to try to improve on, on both sides of the ball. And, and um, you know, I think that, that what he was able to do this year where he got back on the mound um, in, in game um, was – was incredible um and it's it's unusual in professional baseball but obviously it's something that that as an organization we are willing to to let guys try when we when we think it can work out um but for him in particular yeah the, the plan is to uh to go into 2020 planning to continue to see if if he can do that um and i think you have to look at, at his season and it, you know we talk about sometimes guys improving on both sides of the ball if they improve offensively and defensively 
I think Crow in a lot of ways improved on three sides of the ball, which you know I'm not sure anybody's ever done that uh, in a season. But the amount of success that he was able to have offensively, defensively, and on the mound uh, was was certainly a lot of fun to watch. Would it be fair to say that he and Kevin Pablo were the two of the five guys you added closest to helping the big club right now? And could you touch on kind of Kevin's growth? Well, they were the two who spent the most time at uh, at AAA this year. So, uh, you know, from from that perspective, I think it seems uh, seems logical to assume that. But I think that we also recognize that um, you know guys do not develop in a linear path, and uh, you know guys can can go out and, and change over the winter and show up in spring training and and um, and look totally different and force our hands. So, uh, you know, from from that perspective, I, I would agree with you. But I think we also have to acknowledge that. Um, that we get surprised by these guys, hopefully pleasantly, uh, more often than not. In terms of uh, in terms of Kevin Padlow, um, I you can't say enough good things about him as as a kid this season. Just in terms of the the work ethic, uh, everything he did. I think it's a tribute to him. I think it's a, a, a tribute to our staff, uh, all the coaches who worked with him. It was it was a tremendous leap forward for him this year in terms of of offense, and we. We have believed since we acquired him that, that this, this potential was in there uh, and, and getting to see it that actually turn into results on the field um, was, was certainly exciting for the front office, but, um, you know, can't, can't give enough credit to him and, and the coaches and everybody for, for unlocking that potential. Speaking of potential, I mean, Vidal Brujan is probably the most talked about and probably the prospect that has, I guess, the most attention in terms of um, nationally. Was he one of the easier decisions to make to add him? Well, I mean, each each decision is is kind of individual. Uh, I, I think Bruhan put himself in a, in a position that um, that this was a pretty automatic call. Um, you know, everything he's done on the field all the way through the Arizona Fall League this year. Um, you know, obviously has come up as a as a second baseman, but got a fair bit of playing time at shortstop this year, which I think, you know, has, has gone well uh, initially based on the uh, conversations that we've had. So uh, tremendous defender, uh, you know, quite possibly an 80 uh, base runner. It stole, I think, 48, 50 bases, something like that this year. Just a really, really exciting player. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know if, if there are no-brainers in this game, but, um, you know, the, the decision to add him to the roster, the, the debate was not was not long. Ronaldo Hernandez, where did he kind of figure in? Because he had the lowest uh, progression in terms of that he had not gone beyond high A Charlotte, um, and obviously rosters are extremely tight for a team that won 96 games a year ago. Yeah, again, I mean, all of these guys, uh, it's a different discussion, different decision on each of them. Uh, Ronaldo, uh, you know, the position, the, the defense, you know, what he's able to do behind the plate, the improvements he made with regards to, to game calling uh, and receiving this year. I know that the, the, you know, if you look at the batting line, the surface line, it, it didn't look as impressive, at least in terms of those classic stats as, as maybe his bowling green line from the year before. Well, you know, anybody who's ever tried to hit in the Florida State League knows that it's, it is a tough place to hit. So, um, you know, for for him, the, the improvements behind the plate, the arm, the, you know, the, the arm strength back there, everything about it, um, you know, it it, um, it came together very nicely. And, and I'm, you know, we're excited to have him on the roster. And, and lastly, you added Lucius Fox. I probably found that, um, you know, it's probably – I wouldn't say surprising, but based on the, the Eric Neander mentioned in a conference call on uh, 
on, on Wednesday about the fact that the under the hood showed that he was better than his numbers indicated. What went into his individual decision? Well, it's it's the same as as a lot of these guys. Um, you know, I, I would agree with Eric certainly that the the under the the hood stuff is is better than I think that the uh, than the surface line is, and and he's a kid who we think continues to make a lot of progress. He's a tremendous athlete. Um, you know, the the potential to to impact the game on the defensive side of things is, is certainly there. Um, and, you know, we're looking forward to seeing what he can do in, in 2020. So, um, you know, I'm not sure there was too much to the decision beyond that. There was one other move you guys did make, uh, uh, Christopher Sanchez, left-handed pitcher. You traded to the Phillies. He would have been Rule 5 eligible, and you got someone back. Indicate the decision on making the trade and how you feel about the player you got back from Philadelphia. Yeah, this is a, a deal that um, that was as much about kind of the overall roster situation as as anything else. Um, you know, Sanchez made really impressive strides this year. I mean, he he started a little bit late because he was in Australia last winter, but you know, this is a kid who went from the extended program to Bowling Green to the uh, to the Charlotte Stonecrabs rotation uh, by the end of the year. Um, you know, and just the the total package, the tall left-handed, you know, good pitch mix, you know, real velocity on the sinker. It's, uh, it, it's, it's a nice package. Um, and he, and he made a lot of strides, but this I think was as much about kind of the overall picture of the roster as anything else. Uh, and our ability to go get, uh, to go get Curtis Mead was, you know, what helped us make that decision. It's a, it's a young kid, uh, an Australian kid, 19 years old, but he's a lean, strong player possibility of really adding some strength um you know looks pretty good at, at third base right now um obviously is a long way away but uh is the kind of move that we felt like in total with all the considerations about the players and the roster uh ultimately made sense and this has kind of been a strength of the organization from a pro scouting standpoint right it's finding guys before they become guys so to speak yeah, and I think all organizations are are trying to do that, um, but you have to have to give a lot of credit to our our pro scouting staff, absolutely, for the uh, amount of of information they're able to get up, uh, get on get on these guys. And um, you know, this this was a guy that uh, he obviously has a very limited track record here in the states, but we had enough information on him from from all the various sources that we were able to get comfortable with the decision before uh, the deadline. James, this is the first year that you guys have to deal or had to deal with the fact that next year is a 26-man roster. Did that factor in any decisions on your end from, hey, this guy might get Rule 5 if we don't put him on or how he fits in the big picture and the fact that you're only going to have 14 non-roster uh, you know, roster guys on your 40-man, so you've got one less spot to deal with um, and you know the, the possibility of having guys who may not be ready to begin the year, how did that all factor into what you guys thought and how you proceeded? I, I'm I'm not sure I need to answer the the question, <laughs> Neil. I think you laid out all the reasons uh, already. Uh, yeah, the um, you know the, we're anticipating that there will be the 26th roster slot this year. Um, I, we talked a lot about what that does to the possibility of players getting selected uh, in the Rule Five draft and and ultimately staying with the. Uh, the selecting team for the year. Um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, if there is sort of a, a feeling around the league that that 26 roster spot is almost found money at this point where people are just so used to playing with 25, they're willing to, to select somebody in the rule five and just keep them on the roster all year as that 26 man. 
um, you know, it, it might lead to some some more aggressive behavior in the Rule 5 draft this year. It'll be interesting, though, to see how quickly teams start to get used to the idea of having 26 and using 26 uh, and, and if that kind of feeling of, of being able to carry a, a Rule 5 selection uh, dissipates, you know, the more years that we have that. Um, on the flip side, I think you rightly point out, that now we only have 14 guys who are going to be on the 40 man who are, who are on options. And it puts that much more pressure on everybody who's on the 40 man who, when we need those spots and obviously having used 57 players last year, we, we are going to use those spots. Um, the pressure is on us and it's on those players to, uh, to be ready to contribute at the major league level uh, once they're on the 40 man roster. So, you know, from that perspective, absolutely. The 26 man definitely played a, uh, a big part uh, in, in our thinking. And then from a context standpoint, we're still talking about these decisions were made November 20th. I mean, this is for you guys, what, just a, a kind of stopping point in terms or a, a checkpoint for the off season from your standpoint? Yeah. I mean, the off season is obviously uh, pretty long and there's, there's a long way to go. We still have a lot more that we need to do to get this team ready for, for opening day. Um, this is sort of the first real, checkpoint i guess after the the immediate decisions that are made right after uh right after the season ends um this is this is the one where you first have to start really looking at all 40 spots on your roster uh and and all the the ripple effects of that throughout the organization in terms of who's on the triple a roster and double a and etc um so it is a it is a kind of the first checkpoint um there are many many more to go uh and again we've got we've got a few things that we need to do to, to get this uh, this roster ready for opening day. But, you know, these these five guys that we added, the, the moves that we made to today or yesterday, um, you know, we feel we feel like it's a, a good step forward uh, towards what we need to uh, to do to be ready to go. Well, as you mentioned, there is a lot still to do, and I appreciate the time. I know you got a lot between now and the uh, winter meetings next month, and uh, we will talk to you soon, I'm sure. Appreciate it, Neil. Good luck with the volleyball. Oh, we certainly appreciate uh, James Click for being on the, the podcast with us and giving us kind of the raised perspective. And for kind of an outside look, we are now joined by the guy who's covered them since the beginning. That is Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times. And Topper, from your perspective, what, if anything, was the biggest surprise among the moves the Rays made yesterday? Oh, no doubt, Neil. It was uh, the decision to DFA Matt Duffy. I mean, I think we all knew that his future may have been uh, in question with the Rays a little bit going into 2020. And you know, maybe it was going to end up this way anyway, but I was surprised they, they made the move as soon as they did. I would have thought uh, Matt Duffy would have had some trade value. Uh, I know, you know, Eric Neander told us they explored that, but, you know, as off seasons unfold, uh, maybe there would have been a different spot on that roster they could have sacrificed now and hung on to Matt Duffy for a while, whether it was just to the arbitration deadline, the tender deadline on December 2nd, or even through the winter meetings. I mean, I think when healthy, Matt Duffy is a player that's going to help, uh, could help a lot of teams in a number of ways. And, you know, we know Kevin Cash and, and even Neander on the conference call the other night spoke of the leadership and the intrinsic value that Matt Duffy brings. So that was a surprise to me. Uh, then probably next level would have been uh, that Lucius Fox got added, I think. You know, my sense anyway, and, and not that, you know, any of us know exactly what they were thinking, except, of course, for you, Neil. Uh, was that Lucius Fox was probably the bubble guy. The first four, I think, were pretty set to go on the roster. And, you know, Lucius Fox was probably five or six, you know, somewhere in that group. And some other names we kicked around. Christopher Sanchez we saw get traded. Maybe he was five and Lucius was six. But anyway, 
just that they'd add another infielder. I mean, uh, Fidel Brujan obviously is, is kind of the class of that group. I think the guy, you know, with the highest upside and, and Fox profiles a little bit similarly. He had a down year last year. Uh, so that was probably my second surprise. Yeah, I, I would say so. And, and certainly I would think one of the areas, you know, I, I think Eric talked about it is, you know, trying to improve the, the run production without impacting the run prevention. Um, but I, I think they also probably are going to have to replace a couple of leaders in the clubhouses they've done from time to time. They still have Charlie Morton. Right now they still have Chaz Rowe. Um, and we know that Morton is going to be there more than likely next year. Um, but, you know, Matt Duffy played an important role with guys like Willie Adamas and others in their clubhouse. He did. And, and you know, Avisel Garcia is another guy who I think had a little bit of an unsung leadership role, and he's a free agent right now. We don't know if he's going to come back. But, you know, I think Matt Duffy was one of those guys who, you know, I know as a reporter you, you kind of look for those been there and done that guys who can offer some perspective. And uh, Matt Duffy was a great guy on perspective. And if he would do that for people like myself and you, uh, I would assume he's doing that quite regularly with the teammates that he has and even the coaches he has. And, you know, I don't, Kevin Cash doesn't have a formal, you know, leadership circle or council or anything that some teams talk about. But I think Kevin Cash – you know, had some of those veterans that he would regularly go to and, you know, discuss things with. And I think Matt Duffy was in that group. So I think Matt Duffy played a larger role with the team than just the games he played on the field. Now the flip side of that is Matt Duffy didn't play enough. I mean, I think mm-hmm. if I did my math right, he only played in 199 out of 500 and almost 550 games that he was on the roster for, you know, that he was with the Rays for. So obviously not being able to stay healthy, you know, whether that's, you know, where you, how you assign that blame is always tricky, but not being able to stay healthy factored into this too. And, you know, for the Rays to commit what would have been around $3 million if he wasn't going to be a starter, you know, he doesn't have as much positional versatility as some of the other guys. I mean, just, you know, compare him to Daniel Robertson, for example. Daniel Robertson's on the roster instead of Matt Duffy. Daniel Robertson can play third, short, second, he can go out in the outfield if you need him to. I mean, the Rays have tried a little bit of that with Duffy. It didn't look like it really worked as well. So, you know, that's kind of the situation I think they were in. If he wasn't going to be their main guy, he probably wasn't going to be their backup guy, especially at that salary. Yeah, and, yeah, you, you mentioned, uh, like, Daniel, Yandy Diaz. Uh, they added Kevin Pablo. They've got Mike Brasso. There obviously were a lot of right-handed hitting options. So, from that standpoint, it's the depth that the Rays had, they made kind of a path for some younger players. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I think that was part of it. And that's why, you know, you go back to even July when they traded Nick Solak. And, and we were like, why would they trade Nick Solak? We thought he was part of the future. But, you know, one of the Rays people, you know, told me at that point that if they looked at it, they knew they were going to have, you know, four, five, six right-handed hitting infielder type guys that were going to be in the mix for 2020. They didn't see Solak being there. And, and, you know, obviously they don't see uh, Matt Duffy being there, but, you know, and Willie Adamas, we didn't mention him as the right-handed hitting shortstop. So, you know, there are a number of those guys, you know, we don't know what the off season is going to bring. And just because those guys got added to the roster doesn't mean they're necessarily going to stick around last year. You know, we were still trying to figure out what they were going to do with Brock Burke and Kyle Bird once they put them on the roster and they turned around and flipped them and traded them to the Texas Rangers, you know, so the fact that you have Bruhan and Lucius Fox both on the roster now, maybe they're not both still on the roster come spring training. Yeah, that was my next point, and it was my last question with James, is that this is just a checkpoint of the offseason. I mean, 
you know, people look at this and go, hey, what are they, why are they doing this? Why are they doing that? Well, I mean, it's, it's a part of a much bigger picture, right? Yeah, and it's always it's an always an ever changing puzzle. If anything, the Rays, you know, probably would operate better if there were never any deadlines. They could just keep shuffling things around. But yeah, on on um, November twentieth at eight o'clock, you have to have a set forty man roster, and you have to have you know the players you have on there cannot be taken in the Rule Five draft. So that forces the Rays, as you say, that at a certain point they have to reach December second. They have to you know decide who they are and aren't going to tender contracts to, but. Because they are always creative, they're always willing to make changes, they're always willing to churn the roster. You know, they just they operate on a daily basis of almost like a daily deadline. They kind of check themselves every day. It's just the way MLB is set up. There's certain days where they have to do what everybody else does. You know, and, and there was one interesting piece of this, and, and I think it was you who mentioned, hey, the Rays, the run prevention team, added five position players. And, and currently, as we speak, there are 20 position players and 20 pitchers, but James Click was also uh, quick to point out, well, Jake Cronenworth is also a pitcher. So technically we added five position players as <laughs> a pitcher <laughs> to the roster. So there is that ebb and flow and flux that the Rays do have with, uh, with the group they do have overall. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I, I really didn't mean the question this way, and I think uh, on the conference call Eric Neander took it this way, but I didn't mean it as, boy, the pitching must have really fallen off in the organization to me, it was just more striking that a organization that is known for its pitching development and every year seems to have so many good young pitchers would put five players on the roster and they all were position players. And, you know, look, part of that is think of the pitchers that came up during the season and made their debuts. I mean, Colin Poche is certainly one. Uh, Pete Fairbanks is another one. So the fact that they have already brought up some of these guys that otherwise would have been in position to be added to the roster, Ian Jabot, who they ended up trading after he came up. So they've kind of already graduated some of those guys to the big leagues. It was just more of a, a striking thing that if we would have said, you know, say we were at a social event last Saturday and we were just sitting around eating <laughs> chocolate or something and someone said, how many position players, how many pitchers do you think the Rays will put on the roster? I don't know that any of us, especially Dan and Chris, would have said five and none. I, I'm I'm guessing probably not, probably not, and hopefully enjoyed a lot of chocolate as you do, Mark. Um, and, and, you know, let's not mention that. Uh, you know, we didn't even mention guys who were added like Brendan McKay during the season, and then they you know acquired Nick Anderson and Trevor Richards, who I think is still part of the picture too. So I mean, there are a lot of pitchers that they added. Um, I think the the one you brought up with Lucius Fox, and that's why I think this roster is going to be ever changing, is that. With 26 men on the roster, you have less dead spots. And what I mean by that is it's harder to have guys who may not be ready either during the year or at least the beginning of the year for the big league to have that many guys on the roster because you only have, in essence, 14 spots that you have to kind of shuffle during the year. Absolutely. And, you know, we know one of those is being held by Brent Honeywell, who's going to be, you know, sidelined at least into the season if we don't know how far yet from the setbacks he's had pitcher so you know take that a little further you're down to 13 extra spots and obviously some of those have to be set you know teams you know there may be some things that are done unusually this year and certainly we know the Rays like to do that I mean maybe a team doesn't you know this they've got Ronaldo Hernandez obviously but some teams you know have a fourth catcher on the 40-man roster because they want to be able to make a quick move if there's an injury things like that so teams may have to go at this a little bit differently maybe this puts a premium on some off-roster 
uh, you know, six-year free agents that teams will sign and keep at AAA and maybe have to pay them a little more to get them so they can keep them there even though they're not on the 40-man roster so they have immediate depth if they need it even though obviously you've got to make another move to create a space. Yeah, or the or the kind of trades they made, Sam Pagan, where they consolidate some roster spots at some point this year to have that flexibility and room that they try and add guys to. Yeah, and and you know, like I said, I, I don't, you know, I, we know one thing about the Rays, Neil, is it's you know, there's they're never set. Even on days when there's a roster deadline, they're still never set. They're thinking ahead to what other moves they're going to make. That's just part of how they do business. I, I think you know, even I think Neander. Uh, it was Neander, I think, or maybe our former, the former uh, senior VP, Hein Bloom. One of them said after the end of the season, you know, we could go forward with this roster, but it's just not in our DNA. You know, we still have to. We're always looking for ways to do it a little bit different, a little bit, a little bit better. Well, it'll be interesting to follow and watch how it goes going forward, Mark. I appreciate some time uh, on the podcast, and hopefully, uh, it's a quiet Thanksgiving week, and we'll talk to you after the tender deadline. How about that? All right. That sounds good, Neil. I hope you have a spike of a day. All right. Thank you. Uh, that's Mark Topkin of the time. We appreciate him joining us as uh, I get ready for volleyball. We appreciate James Click being on, too. Again, we'll have a podcast if needed Thanksgiving week, but otherwise we'll wait till the tender deadline and kind of use that as a preview for the winter meetings. I will be in San Diego this year covering that for the race, so we'll have some special podcasts and shows from San Diego, too, that we'll bring you. Uh, in the meantime, uh, thanks very much for being with us, and uh, we will talk to you soon. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.